0: So, we are continuing our study of the miracle involving Lazarus. We are in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. If you have the outline from last week, I have a few points I wanted to get through on that before I begin on the new outline. We talked about how Jesus viewed the death of unbelievers, and it was not an encouraging position, because nobody in the New Testament speaks more about hell than Jesus. So if you have friends that are, are, are not saved or, or friends that are, let's call them, religious dilettantes, I think you need to tell them, they need to, in any discussion, Jesus was very clear that there is a place outside of God, and it's hell, and it's a place where non-believers go, and we don't like to talk about it, but it's a very real part of understanding what our faith is, is about. But on the other hand, Jesus was incredibly encouraging about the death of believers. Um, He spoke about entering into Abraham's bosom or paradise. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke, just so you get an idea of this. Luke chapter 16, verse 22. This is the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And that typically was considered paradise if you were an Old Testament Jew. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. And this is Jesus writing this, speaking about this. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, underline that. And you are in agony. And between all this, besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And so you see, uh, the believer has a a place of comfort, a place of rest, a place of peace. Not so uh, for for the unbeliever. Also, Jesus speaks in, in John chapter 14 about going ahead and preparing a place for us. Uh, and there are many mansions there. Uh, the original, the early translations, King James Version's translated that mansions. It's now kind of been downgraded to rooms in some of the later translations. <laughs> I like the King James Version myself. You, you get a consensus on that. I think I, I just like that. Uh, but the point is, wherever it is, being with God and Jesus uh, and those who've, who've gone before us, in Christ will be a day unlike anything you will ever possibly imagine, a day unlike, you know, a day of never-ending sunshine, where the sun will never set. I mean, what an what an incredible little place! Um, and so now uh, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus, and I want—I just want you to see—he says here in John chapter eleven that he's glad. That Lazarus has died. It's interesting. So it's, I want to just follow along with that. Take a look at John chapter 11, verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, "This is Jesus, our friend. Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up." His disciples replied, "Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better." Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, "Lazarus is dead." And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. That's an amazing situation. The disciples didn't get it, and they never got it. They never got it until Jesus died, uh, and then afterwards they got it, and they gave their lives for the cause. But here you see Jesus saying, I'm glad Lazarus has died. And so it's interesting to focus on the fact of the elements of why Jesus would say he was glad. And at the time that he said that, even though they asked him to come back and tell him that you know, Lazarus was sick, Jesus already knew in the spirit that Lazarus had died. He was dead at the moment that Jesus got the message. And so, how can Jesus be glad about that death? Well, there's, there's several reasons to that question. And they're all found in this, in this passage. First... Jesus was glad because Lazarus was a believer, and Jesus understood what the death of a believer meant. Just as we've talked about, it was not to be feared. The death of a believer is not to be feared; rather, it's a homecoming. And I want to say that to to you because you know, uh, increasingly we see death surrounding us in so many ways. We know that death is going to come to every one of us, uh, and, and so as Christians, we cannot fear that and I understand that we can have trepidation about it I understand that but this is where you ask God to give you grace and faith turn to the 23rd Psalm verse 4 and here here's really a fabulous explanation of how we have to view death verse 4 even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So, I mean, that's the passage. There it is. Jesus walks with us. So even when things look dark, even when, when we are at, at death's door, really what that is is that's us getting ready to graduate. Really. I remember when my father said that to me uh, in 2004, and I took him home from the hospital, and he looked at me and he said, I'm, I'm ready to graduate. I didn't really want to hear that. I knew what he meant. I knew what he meant. A lot of people wouldn't have understood what he meant, but I knew what he meant. And in my humanity, I didn't want to see that happen. I really didn't. And yet, I understood. And it was interesting because uh, about three days later, I was slated to fly back to Florida, and I didn't want to go. And he kept saying to me, no, I want you to go. I want you to go. You go. You go back to Florida. So, you know, and so we had flown back to Florida, and then two days later, on Christmas Eve, he passes. You know, uh, and, and, but I understood, I understood how he viewed, how he viewed death. He viewed it as a graduation, which is really how we as Christians need to understand this. We are spending our lives in a school. This is a school. God is putting you through a school. Everything that you're experiencing in your life, all the sufferings and the persecutions and the hard times are all part of a school that God is using you to deliver his message to a lost world. And then there's graduation day. And that's what death is for us. And so it's a very different thing. Uh, Look also at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 56. This is Paul writing. Verse 56. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have victory over death. Death is no longer a sting for us. Now, we can't say this if we're not in Christ. But in Christ, we can. The sting of death no longer exists for us. Uh, Christ has tasted death fully for each and every one of us. And as a result of him doing that, he has defeated death. Uh, And we know through Christ that we will be with him through the resurrection of the Spirit. We will be with him. Now, there's a second reason why Jesus could say then I'm glad Lazarus is dead. The second reason was just as sleep is restful, so also is death for the believer restful. Uh, And if you would turn, look at Revelations chapter 14. It's funny, we don't normally think about it this way, but I like this. Revelations 14, verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, blessed are the dead, who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. And there it is, example right. The fact that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we can rest from from what happens in this world, that death will be like uh, an incredible resting for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. And so uh, God knew that. Jesus understood that. And just as if sleep is temporary, and that's how God, Jesus, referred to Lazarus as sleeping, sleeping being a temporary condition, death is also temporary for the believer. It's a temporary condition. You're going to die, and then you're going to rise again. Your spirit is going to be with with Jesus Christ and with God forever, forevermore. I used the example last week of spending this life underwater, and, and, and imagine what it's like to, to walk underwater and not have a breathing apparatus and not have goggles and you, you're just slugging along and it's hard. And that's what this life is like. And suddenly, at the moment of death, it's as if you're pushed out of the water and you come into the air and you take a gulp of air and now you see with clarity a world that you never saw before. That's really, honestly, truthfully, what it's going to be like only magnified a thousand times. Uh, The difference between what we are experiencing here and what it will be like when we rise in the next world with Jesus Christ, the world prepared for us by God. And there was another reason that Jesus could uh, say that he was glad that Lazarus had died. He knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. Uh, And it's interesting, uh, and we don't talk about this too often, but Jesus raised others from the dead. Now, we know of at least two other examples where Jesus raised people from the dead. I am convinced that there are more, but we know of these. Turn to Luke chapter 7. I just think it's a great insight into Jesus when you look at these. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Are you getting this picture? It's pretty sad. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Let me stop right there. This shows you the heart of Jesus Christ. When people tell you that God is severe, uh, that there is a, that there is a hardness to God, I want you to see the heart of Jesus Christ because it 's difficult for us to to understand the heart of God, but I believe that by studying Jesus, who is God, you see the heart of god oh, wow. Jesus' heart was broken when he saw this, so don 't think god doesn 't care about you, he doesn 't care about what you 're going. I want you to see this. Jesus has a broken heart as he sees this uh, widow losing her only son. Uh, And so don't cry. He He knows your tears. He knows what you're going through. Don't cry, verse 14. Then he went up and touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. Are you getting this picture? He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Whoa! You want something more dramatic than that? Can you imagine? They're in a funeral procession. They're in a funeral procession. And Jesus reaches out and touches the coffin and tells the young man to get up. They were all filled with awe. I guess so. Yeah, I think so. And praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come. To help his people, the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. And yet, they would kill him. Evil. Evil. You see it. Evil. How it resides in the heart of man. Take a look also at Matthew chapter 9. We get a sense of the heart of Jesus as he looks and he sees death. uh, And and what it means to the Lord and how he's come in to change that whole paradigm. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him. And that means a ruler from the temple, someone of great position within the religious hierarchy of the Jews. A ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. That's quite a statement for somebody that's a religious Jew living in a ruler of the temple. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to him, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you, and the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. So there it is. Another example. There's an ongoing active funeral procession in the house. And Jesus comes in and changes the paradigm of death. Death is not final. Death is just temporary. And that's the message here. That's what Jesus is telling us. That for us, death... It's temporary. It is sleep. I want to make sure that I drill this home to you in every way. I want you to have this in your heart no matter where you are. As we get older, this is more and more an ongoing issue for us. And so only the voice and message of Jesus Christ can, can defeat the state of death. That's what separates us from the world. The world does not know this. For the world, you go to a funeral for somebody that's in the world. and Let me tell you something. It's a desolate place. You go to a funeral where somebody doesn't know Jesus Christ, that is a, a very dark place to be. There is no hope. There is, there is no hope. But you go to the death, you go to the funeral of, of, a, of a saint, someone who has given their heart to Jesus, it's like a celebration. Some years ago, Forrest Head's wife passed, uh, he was an associate pastor in this church, and his wife died, a young woman, and they had a, a, a funeral in this church, the likes of which I had never seen in my life. It was truly a, a celebration of life, a recognition, a recognition that she was with Jesus Christ. And I saw how he had acted, how Forrest acted, and I saw how the children acted. And let me tell you something, it spoke to my heart. That's exactly how we have to be as Christians. Yes, we hurt. Yes, we grieve. But we know we will see them again. They're with Jesus Christ. I can't tell you this strongly en- enough. I want to give this ongoing confirmation to you that if there's one thing that I know that about Jesus, is that Jesus will deliver us from this death and will bring us to life everlasting. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I mean, I want you to know that. that you, can't you can't drill this down far enough and hard enough. And so one of the things that I think we need to understand is that when you live like this, when you understand how Jesus works, when you understand what it means to be a believer, a believer, you understand what it is to have a transformed life, a transformed life, meaning what? Meaning that since we believe that death is only temporary, that the life that we live is transformed because we're not handcuffed to dying. We're not handcuffed to overwhelming grief uh, and overwhelming darkness. Because we know, we know that there is something better waiting for us. And Paul spoke about this in detail. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And here's Paul's prayer about what it means to have a transformed life. What it means... I want to know Christ, verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain the resurrection from the dead. What does this mean? He's talking about living the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about a transforming life that you can walk among the dead of this world. And that's what we're dealing with. People who have not accepted Jesus Christ. Are basically walking dead people. It's only a matter of time. And so if you've accepted Jesus. You have a transformative aspect in your life going on that they don't do. And so what that means is. Are our lives giving evidence to these people. Of the transforming effect of what we've experienced. You've experienced the resurrection. Now, you may not have experienced the actual physical resurrection, but you've experienced the spiritual resurrection. Each and every one of you that have accepted Jesus have already experienced the resurrection. You are guaranteed that you will be with Jesus. Now, think about that. Think about that as you walk in this world. Are you giving evidence of that to the world? Don't answer to me. Don't answer to me. Answer to him. Are you giving evidence of the transformative aspect of the fact that you've already experienced resurrection in your life because God has delivered you from the abyss of death? And I think when you understand this, when you see that, you understand how God wants us to act with a lost world. That's what God expects us to do. He expects us to speak to people that are lost, who are brokenhearted, who are in despair, and let them know that there is a better way and that you've experienced it and that you know that there's a place for you, that you know it. You don't have to have some postgraduate degree in theology. The Holy Spirit has signed that in your heart. You know it. And now you have to convey it in your life to a world that's lost, that's desperately lost and has no hope, but you have the hope. And they have to see it in your, in your life. And so now we're going to continue the study uh, in John chapter 11. The next outline, verses 17 to 32, as we continue to see this great image of, of uh, Jesus impacting Lazarus and his sisters. So follow along with me. 11, Gospel of John, verse, chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, and that's in Bethany, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Underline that, please. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is asking us that today. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so here we go in this passage where Jesus articulates again, very clearly, very clearly as he's done uh, before, uh, and as I said, you know the seven I am's that we've talked about before, but he, he says it very clearly that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, if you were a first century early Christian, you knew full well what these words meant. Um, and uh, Paul succinctly outlines this again. Turn to Thessalonians chapter four, because I love it when we can read scripture And use scripture to define other scripture. That's really what we call an exegetical teaching. That's really what I believe God wants us to do. Thessalonians chapter 4. First First Thessalonians, excuse me. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. And that means those who, who have passed. Or to grieve... Like the rest of men. And underline that. Grieving like the rest of men. Who have no hope. Sounds like what I've been teaching you today. Verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And so there it is. Paul has outlined for us the basic paradigm of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has now, next to the Father in heaven, right at the right hand of God, and Jesus is going to be there waiting for you uh, when you pass on. It is a remarkable clarity of understanding of what separates us from the world. The world has no hope. And so you understand what separates us, And what's different about Christianity? And so let's examine who Jesus spoke these words to. It was Martha. Martha. And Martha, we've talked about Martha. Martha, who was so involved in taking care of the house and the chores. And when Jesus was was visiting them, uh, went to Jesus and asked her to chastise her sister Mary. Because she's just sitting there listening to you, Jesus, instead of helping me take care of this crowd, uh, being a good host. Lord, a chastiser. Can you imagine telling Jesus to do that? But you see it. It's a certain kind of believer. And so we're we're beginning to get an insight into Martha. uh, And yet Martha is changing. Martha is changing and we're beginning to see it. And it's interesting uh, as you see her have this colloquy with Jesus that you get an understanding of how some Christians act. And what I mean by that is many of us fall into the Martha category. And here's what the Martha category. I know Jesus. I know you can do it. You probably won't. I'm asking you, though. I'm asking you. I know you can, but you probably won't. You probably won't. But I'm still asking you. You understand? This is a whole subcategory of... Of Christians. Uh, uh, and it's not that they, they, they don't trust the Lord. It's not that they have distrust. It's that their faith is self-limiting. They've set the boundaries. Jesus hasn't. God hasn't. Even, though, even in their basic prayer, they're already putting defeat up. Uh, you know, we could. Not now. It's not going to happen. And so they they uh, their prayers are always ending with what if. What if, what if it doesn't happen? What if? Instead of saying, Lord, I have full confidence that you will do what is in your will for me. That I am in your care. I am asking for this, Lord. I need this help. I need you to do this for me. And I have confidence that you love me and will take care of me. And so here she goes to Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Wow, Martha. That's a heck of a statement to make to Jesus, isn't it? You say that to God? If you'd been here? His physical presence was necessary to be there in order for your your brother not to have died. Uh, in in fact, it really becomes a sort of a debate with God. If you think about it, it's almost like a, a resentment. You could have done this if you were here. If we, we, we were important enough, instead of continuing to be out there preaching to people, if you cared about me, you would have been here. He wouldn't have died. But I know you still can you can do something, but you probably won't. (laughs) And so I mean you get an you get an understanding of of what it is, doubting the power of the Lord right from the beginning. From the beginning. And yet we know that from the very beginning, when Jesus heard it, he knew what he was gonna do. So Jesus lets some time go by, and you interpret the time delay as Jesus saying, No way. Not gonna happen, not gonna be done. And yet that's exactly what God is intending for you. He's using the time delay in some way to reinforce you and to strengthen you and to let you know how how important you are to him. Uh, And so she she says, God, I know you can do this. You have the power. Certainly, however, I don't believe she believed that resurrection was a possibility. I don't believe that, you know. And of course, one of the things, I'm I'm using the word loosely, resurrection, because this isn't a resurrection. This is a raising from the dead. The difference is Lazarus will die again. When we are resurrected, we will never die again. So that's important to understand that distinction. Uh, And of course, Jesus says, your brother is going to rise again. And what does she say? She gives him a theologically correct answer. You notice that? It's not a personal answer. It's a theologically correct answer. I know he will rise again in the last days. Well, if you were religious, you believed that. That in the last days, the dead would rise. But but Jesus wasn't speaking about the last days. He's talking in in the next five minutes. Your brother's going to rise up from this dead in the next five minutes. And so the lesson here is that many of us attempt to do this to Jesus today. We believe, we believe that he's able to do all that he says he's able to do, but not now, not for us, and not here. How many of us fall into this camp? I dare say, pretty much most of us. I have to admit that I myself have fallen into that camp. That even where I've prayed at times, or I've self-limited uh, God because I my faith was weak. Uh, and and you see that it's a certain type of Christian. And so we have to fight this. We have to say that if we are fully invested in Jesus Christ, that when we pray, when we have to believe. That if it is within his will, he will hear you and he will heal you and he will address these concerns. Even when I say that, I say at the same time that not everybody will be healed. Not everybody is going to have the uh, what's addressed in a need. But God will do what is within his perfect will for you, knowing that he loves you more than anybody else in the world. That's the thing. You just think about those examples that I gave you, that Jesus stopped the funeral processions because his heart was broken when he saw people crying and reaching out. And and so the second aspect of Martha's faith is that she treated the words of Christ impersonally, almost theologically, Um, when Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha pushed that off as if, yes, I understand that, Jesus. That's true. Not now, not for me. Not here. But theologically, I believe that. Uh, And how many of us fall into that camp as well? And this is what we do to the promises of Christ. How many of us do that? To the active, ongoing promises of Christ that are personal. We put these promises of Jesus in mothballs. I don't think I could phrase it any any better way. We put the promises of Jesus in mothballs. We're living in an evil world under suffering and persecution and christ has told us he walks with us every step of the way he's transformed our lives he's already resurrected you from the dead he's given you everything that you possibly can use and yet we have taken these promises and put them in mothballs and given ourselves to defeat in walking in this world and not being not living a transformative life and not leading others to Christ because our life does not reflect this transformative effect. This is serious. This is serious. I want to speak to you today about how God wants you to act as these promises are personal. They're to you. They're to you and your family in every way. They apply to us today. And so look at the way Jesus dealt with Martha. She came in with half faith and half doubt. And Jesus did not get angry at her. I mean, think about it. You're God, and somebody comes up to you and is like taunting you. I I know you could have done it. He wouldn't have died if you were here. How'd you like to talk to God like that? Think that's possible? Have we talked to God like that? How many of us in our prayers have we talked to God like that? What is wrong with you, God? Do you know I'm hurting, I'm suffering? Do you see what I'm going through? How can this happen to me? Why are you putting me through this? As if he doesn't know. Really. As if he doesn't care. Really. I mean, honestly. Really. Think about it. Look at how God handled this with Martha. And Martha's taunting him. It wouldn't have happened if you were here. It wouldn't have happened. Imagine if you were Jesus, what you would have said to her. What, are you kidding me? That's all you would have said from New Jersey. Are you, talking to, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? I just want to get this straightened out. Are you talking to me? Because you can't be talking to me. You can't be talking to me. God, look at Jesus. He just exudes love. He just exudes love. Um, and you see how, you see how, how he, t- he talks to Martha. And he's teaching her. He's loving her. And he's teaching her about himself. That is why he's talking about the life and the resurrection. He's trying to let her know that he represents a paradigm shift, the likes of which the world has never known before. That through him there will be life everlasting. That there will be a resurrection that all of us as believers will receive. And the lesson here is that wherever Jesus is, there is both physical and spiritual life If you are a believer, can I get an amen on that? Wherever Jesus is, there is both physical and spiritual life forever. What do I mean by that? That means this, that in this world, when you have Jesus in your heart and you walk with the Lord, that you have experienced the transforming effect of a resurrected life. God is with you Physically in this life. Impacting you physically in this life. Even as you're surrounded by evil. And at the same time, he has impacted you spiritually. And it's two things going on at once. The impact and transformative aspect of Jesus Christ. Wherever Jesus walked, death was defeated. There's almost impossible to have a funeral procession if Jesus is near. Isn't it? I mean, you have to walk it. Jesus is walking by, and they're carrying a coffin. And Jesus goes, oh, wait a minute. Let me go over and just touch this coffin. And the guy gets up. I mean, really. And the ruler's daughter, oh, and she rises. And they bury a guy for four days in a tomb. Is that good enough for you? Four days in a tomb. And his sisters are going, no, don't take the stone away. He stinketh by now. Don't, don't. Oh, yeah, there's my faith. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) There's the self-limiting aspect. Jesus still loves them. He loves them. Um, and, And so, I mean, I want to finish on a high note with Martha because Jesus looked at her finally and asked her if she believed what he had just said about being the resurrection and the life. Are you listening to me, Martha? Do you believe what I just said about being the resurrection and the life? And listen to what Jesus says. He doesn't ask about feeling. Are you feeling better? Jesus isn't saying you're feeling better. Your emotion's a little bit better. You're not as depressed as you were. No, no. He's not asking about your feelings. Do you believe in your heart? Do you believe what I just said? He speaks of faith and not feeling. He did not ask Martha, You feeling better, Martha? You feeling better? No, to believe the words of Jesus is to believe in one whose words are absolutely, totally, 100% trustworthy. And Martha's reply was, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. There it is. There it is. Yes, I know I'm weak. Yes, I know I've been wishy-washy. Yes, even when I said before you could do it, there was a part of me that said, not now, not here, not me. And yet, and yet, I recognize Jesus that you are the Son of God, that you have come into this world, that you are the person whose scriptures have been all about. And what you see there is that fundamental statement of faith is the foothold upon which Jesus will build upon, in which a life becomes sanctified in which a life will grow with Christ. And that's the message that we're going to end with today as we'll continue this next week with closing prayer. Father, I ask you to bless our people, Lord. Please let these words resonate in our heart as they grow and let us contemplate what it means, Lord, the transformative aspect of what you've done for us as you've defeated death in every possible way, Lord, and that even as we're tempted and suffering and persecuted in this world, Let us understand that with you, Father, you are in charge. That nothing we will go through will not be within your perfect will. Help our faith, Lord. Help our faith. Help it to be strengthened in every way. Protect our people. Be with them this week and bring them back to continue the study of the word next week as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.